right. Well, let's uh, let's move into our next slot, the slot you guys have been waiting for. We've talked about how to get Bible studies on a personal level. We've talked about how to get Bible studies on a corporate level. Now we're going to talk about how to prepare the Bible study. And then um, we'll talk about how to give the Bible study. Okay. And now we're compacting in. When I used to teach at AFCO, I took about three weeks to teach all this because we just broke it down and we would practice it. So you guys are getting the crash course. But the good news is, is that you have a better teacher than me and the Holy Spirit, and he will help you. Amen? So I'm going to teach you the very core principles. <clears throat> so um, before we have prayer, and don't forget to remind me to have prayer, there's a couple books that I think would be very useful to you. Uh, you can pick those up anywhere, pretty much, at the ABC. <clears throat> but Winsome Witnessing by Gary Gibbs. Uh, I used to make my students read that book. It's a very practical book. It's very powerful. It's very encouraging and inspiring. And it's got a lot of good practical examples. Mark Finley, Fulfilling God's End Time Commission. It's a newer book. Um, it's about 20 bucks, I think. It's a little pricey. But it's, it's pretty thick and it's big. It's got a lot of good material. Studying Together, how many of you have known about this book? You probably, most of you probably have that book. That's a great book. In the back of it, it talks about um, the other faiths and what we have in common with them, what's differing, how to approach them. Very good book. You Are My Witness. I don't even think this one's in publication anymore, but um, it's a good one if you can get it. Answers? Is it still? Oh, did they? Okay, okay. Um, it's very similar to Winsome Witnessing, but if you, had a, if, you, if you have a small budget, if you had to pick, I'd get Winsome Witnessing, but if you can get both, both are good. Answers to Difficult Bible Text by Joe Cruz is a good one, and Evangelist Answers 101 Questions. There's lots of books. I think there's a book by Mark Finley called Persuasion. It went out of print, but I heard that they're printing it again. If you find a book on decisions by Mark Finley when it, when it comes out, you need to get that book. There's some books by Louis Torres as well. Great books. Mark Howard's going to write some wonderful books one of these days. And uh, you, have your, you have your Emmanuel. What's that? Yeah, right. And, uh, you, but you also have the Emmanuel manual, uh, which is an excellent resource as well. All right, well, let's pray together, and then we're going to dive into this next section. Father in heaven, we thank you so much for this great opportunity to be here. We ask your spirit to bless us again, Lord. We ask you to illuminate our minds. We're thankful it's morning and not afternoon. And so we pray you'll give us a special focus today and bless us, Lord, and teach us. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, we're going to talk about two easy ways to write simple, effective Bible studies. <clears throat> and um, there's what, we, what I call two types of Bible studies, of giving Bible studies. One is the review method, the other is the presenter method. Now, if you think about uh, both of these methods, let's just take the review method. What do you suppose that that is, review method? They fill out the study ahead of time, and then you go back after they, they've done the lesson and do what? Review it, right? The presenter method is very simply where they don't have any idea what you're going to study with them until you get there, you give them the lesson, and you go through the lesson together, <clears throat> right? There are advantages and disadvantages to both. What do you suppose some of the advantages are for the review method? Okay, they're going through it twice, right? Once on their own and once with you. They have their questions prepared ahead of time, okay? What else? Anything else? The time can be shorter that you're in the study, right? Also? They can have somebody else. Yeah, that's right. You can have somebody else. Uh, what might be some of the disadvantages? They don't do the lesson, and they're kind of like, well, I didn't get my lesson done, so I better cancel the Bible study, right? And that can be a problem. What else? That's right. They take it. So, so as you're doing the Bible lessons and they're reviewing them, you do number one, Daniel two, great, they love it, no problem, right? Number two, you know, signs of the times, three, great controversy, four, salvation, and they get on down, they do the Ten Commandments, but then what happens, what comes after the Ten Commandments? The Sabbath, right? And you get 
every Bible worker's nightmare that you go back after you've invested all this time and there's a little yellow sticky note on the door. It says, thanks so much. I talked to my pastor. He's going to do Bible studies with me. And thanks so much for your time, but we're done, right? So that can present a problem, the review method. It can. It doesn't always, but it can. So what about the presenter method? What are some of the advantages? <clears throat> yeah, so you can go with the scheduled time. There's not the, the, the concern that they won't fill out the lesson because more and more people don't usually get their lesson filled out. What's that? Yeah. So when you're also when you're studying with them, if they have questions or objections, who's the first person to answer them? You are. You're right there with them when they have, well, I don't know if I I believe that or or what about this or etc., right? You're the one right there with them to answer their questions. Amen. So there's a blessing. So which one should I use? Well, my answer to you is both. And what I usually do is people that know that don't go to church and people that don't know much about the Bible, which, which method do you think I use? The review method, right? People who are churched and who are well-versed in their Bible, guess which method I use? I use the presenter method. So, so that's what I've found to work the best um, for those that are churched and unchurched because uh, it helps in both those aspects, because they don't have a pastor to go to, right? They might go to their, you know, their uncle or whoever who's a Baptist pastor, but it's not as likely, okay? It's not as likely. And uh, I, I have found that using just one or the other is not the most beneficial, but using both, depending upon the person, is what's best, okay? So there's also two ways to do Bible studies. Um, writing your own or using a prepared set of studies, of lessons. What I recommend to you, in most cases, is to just use a prepared set of lessons. Don't, you don't need to reinvent the wheel, okay? But there are some times that you're going to need to do a study with that person on a subject that's not in that series, okay? And you need to be prepared and know how to be able to prepare a study to give them on that subject, all right? Does that make sense? And we'll talk more about that a little bit later. So the first um, section we're going to talk about is on how to use a prepared lesson. Okay, So we're going to use the It Is Written study guides here. So you might want to pull out number one, and uh, we're going to come to that in just a minute, but go ahead and pull it out now. <clears throat> there are certain characteristics of any Bible study that are very important. Okay, Certain characteristics of any Bible study that are very important. We're going to talk about those here in just a minute. There's just a few. So what I need is I need a married couple to share, and I need them to give me their extra one. Okay? Thank you. If we had two unmarried people to share, we might end up with a marriage, right? All right. That's how it all starts, huh? All right. So a couple characteristics. This is very basic, very fundamental, and then we'll move forward from here. But number one, the study must be relevant to the hearer in their personal life. If it's not benefiting them, if that truth that you're sharing is not, is not impacting them in some way, are they going to want to continue studying? No, it's got to be relevant. You can't just be drumming on about things that aren't important, but that are, might be high horses for you, but it has to be relevant to them. Number two, the foundation and the main idea must be based on the what? On the Bible. And we're always referring people back to the what? When they ask you questions, you're always referring them back to, well, what does the Bible say? Let's see what the Scripture says about this, right? And people will be highly impressed when you do that, and it's not coming from yourself. And we're not there to make jokes or, or to use all these other things. We're there to use the Bible. Number three, the study should be of a doctrinal, prophetic, devotional or practical nature. Avoid giving studies that simply satisfy unimportant curiosities. Okay? So, so like, and I'm serious about this. <clears throat> you know, we're not going to do a whole Bible study on, does my pet go to heaven? Okay? We're not going to do a whole Bible studies on, why was, you know, why were the, 
why were the bells of the high priest in a certain place and not in other places? You know, I mean, just silly things like this, things that are insignificant. You'd be amazed how many people I've heard that do studies with people that have no benefit to the person, but it's just something that they want to do. Okay? So make sure that your Bible studies have a focus. Are you with me? They have a focus. They're doctrinal, prophetic, devotional, or practical. And really, they can also be all of those, can't they? And one, they don't have to be separate, distinct, but make sure you have a, a, a very important purpose of, for your Bible study. Um, <clears throat> yes. Is there a place for assessment? I'm going to talk. I'm going to talk about it. Yeah, I'll talk about it coming out here. So while you don't have to know everything about the subject, uh, you need to be familiar with it. Don't try to do Bible studies off the cuff. Okay. Mm-hmm. Well, I think most translations are probably okay. Um, and I, except for, you know, certain ones like NIV, they're missing text and so forth. Um, but I will usually say to them, what happens most of the time when I'm giving Bible studies is, um, I use the New King James, and when I'm studying with them, I don't use King James, I'm not against it, but as biblically illiterate as people are today, it's very difficult for them to get that language, okay? So I use the New King James and maintain the purity. Now, I'm not saying you shouldn't use the King James. I didn't say that. I just said I don't, okay? So I don't need a lecture about, <laughs> about why the King James only, okay? Don't give me a Walter Vive DVD. I know all about it. I'm good, okay? Um, <clears throat> and so if you use the King James, it's fine. I'm not against it. I'm, I've just studied the Bible with a lot of people, and it comes across a lot easier when I'm, when I'm using New King James. But what I found is that as I use the New King James, if they have a, they have a King James, it's going to be pretty close. If they had an NIV or something, after we go a while, they'll usually ask me, they'll usually say, well, what version of the Bible do you have? And I'll say, well, I use New King James. And within a week or two, guess what they have? They have a New King James. Or I might say, well, if you'd be interested, the... Uh, usually the lessons actually use, I think, I think these use New King James. So I would actually recommend them to, to use it if they have it. And if they don't, you can offer them a Bible. You can say, well, you know, I can loan you this Bible here, bring one from the church, and uh, after you go through you know, five lessons, I'll give you the Bible, you know, something like that. Okay? Use it as a, as a tool. But I would encourage them to use the same as the lessons. But, but you don't force them. You don't force them, okay? All right, moving on here. There are certain elements that you need to include in every single Bible study. Now, I'm going to go off on a short tangent, okay? People often say, why do we always have to study these subjects? You know what I'm talking about? The ones in the Bible studies. Why can't we do Bible studies on love or, or you know, other things? Well, I don't know any of these Bible studies that don't present love, okay? People say, why do we always have to share the doctrines with people? Well, the reality is, is that if you, if you know what you're doing, you can present the character of God, the love of God, and you can deal with very specific issues in their life when you study these lessons. You can just incorporate it within, okay? Let me give you a quick example of this. Remembering to deal with felt needs. What is a felt need? What is that? Yeah. If, it, if it's 20 degrees outside and I don't have a coat, what's my felt need? A coat. If my mother just died three days ago and I'm crying my eyeballs out, what's my need? Comfort and peace, right? And, and encouragement, yeah? If, if I just lost my job two weeks ago and I just spent my last five bucks on gas to look for a job, but my cupboards are empty and I have six kids that are crying for food, what's my felt need? It's food, right? And so as you talk and interact with your Bible studies, you're going to come to understand what their felt needs are, okay? And it's your job to prayerfully and by the leading of the Spirit incorporate uh, scriptures from the Bible into the Bible study that will speak directly to those issues. Does that make sense? So, for instance, let's just say, 
that I'm studying Daniel chapter 2 with my new Bible study. It's our first study together. And we get into the study, and he says, oh, man, he says, you know, I just found out that this week here uh, is my last week of work. They're laying me off. Well, he's what? He's having some problems. He's having some struggles, isn't he? So I'll say, man, I'm really sorry. I'll sympathize with him. I'll minister to him. I'll use Christ's method. But then when we get into the Bible study, uh, we're going to study Daniel 2 today, and I'm going to say, you know what? I think there's going to be some things in this Bible study that are really going to bless you, that are really going to speak to your heart, okay? So as I'm going through Daniel 2, what's the theme of Daniel 2? It's, uh, well, there's, a, there's multiple themes. But one of the things is that Daniel, is, his life is on the line because the king has given the decree, right? So Daniel knows a thing or two about what? Being in a tight spot, doesn't he? You've lost your job, Daniel's about to lose his life. But what did Daniel do? He went and what? He prayed to God, and God heard his prayer and answered his prayer. And I believe that the God that answered Daniel's prayer is the same God that wants to answer our prayers today. So why don't we pray about this situation, right? So, so God provides through answered prayer. Does that make sense? And you may not know where your help's going to come from. Daniel didn't either. I mean, he knew it would come from God, but he didn't know in what way. But God always has the answer. He says there's a God in heaven that reveals what? Secrets. And he has made known to the king what will be in the latter days. And let me tell you, as you put your trust, I'm speaking to the man now, as you put your trust and hope in God, he's going to reveal to you, maybe not in every moment that you're wanting it, but he's going to reveal to you as you need it the plan that he has for you. He's going to take care of you, right? Then I go through the statue, right? Go through the statue, and I make the point to this man that the God of heaven revealed to Daniel the world events that would happen thousands of years in advance. So God holds the future of our world in his what? If God could predict the rise and fall of world empires down through the ages and did it with perfect accuracy, do you think he knows your future and he has the power to take care of you? He has the power to provide for you. He has the power to give you all and meet all your needs. Do you believe that today? I'm going to ask him that question. Am I meeting that felt need? Am I still, still studying the truth with him? Yeah. See, does that make sense? Let's just, you know, it doesn't matter what the Bible study is. You can weave in these Bible promises. So I might, in my Bible study, when I'm talking about how God's going to provide for your needs because he knew the future of the world, I might flip over to Philippians 4.19 and give him that Bible promise. What is it? My God shall supply all your needs, right? Because God knows the future and he has the power and he, he provides for those that put their trust in him. Amen? So isn't this beautiful? It doesn't, matter, it doesn't matter if you're studying the Antichrist. You can still meet felt needs in that Bible study. Amen? So now you're not just speaking to their minds. You're also speaking to their what? You're speaking to their hearts. What do you think about that? So should we stop studying the doctrines? Every doctrine ought to reveal who? It ought to reveal Jesus. If you're not revealing Jesus, then you need to get to know Jesus. Amen? The problem's not with the doctrine. Because Jesus said all doctrine comes from Him, right? The problem's not with the doctrine. The problem is with us separating Jesus from the doctrine. Amen? And so if we're presenting doctrine, we ought to be presenting Christ as well. But don't stop presenting the doctrine to present Jesus because you can't separate Jesus from the teachings of Jesus. Amen? So you can do it all together, and that's when it becomes the most powerful. All right, so... Within your Bible study, you're remembering to deal with felt needs. You're using two to three additional Bible texts for this within your Bible. You may only need one, but as you talk with them, as you interact with them, you're going to get to know what the issues are. That's why it's important for you to memorize what? Scripture. Because sometimes you may not have the ability to prepare. You know, the best Bible studies are the ones where you get put in a crisis and you don't have any idea what to do. You know, those are the best. Because then the Holy Spirit has you leveled to the floor in humility, and then he can do something powerful. Amen? And, uh, but you need to have those texts memorized because the Lord 
is going to bring them to your mind when you need them. Amen? I can't tell you how many times he's done that. Boom, it comes into my mind. I show them the text, and they start crying. They're like, that's just what I needed. And you know it's from the Lord. Amen? All right, so you're asking questions to them. How's your week been? How are your kids doing? How's work doing? I'm doing that. There's a, there's a specific time that I do that, which I'll get to. But uh, this is how you find out what their felt needs are. Then you're weaving those promises in. And you can also share with them a similar experience you had, uh, but don't spend too much time on it. I mean, don't spend the next 45 minutes because you only have about an hour for the Bible study. But, you know, people, I've had cancer. I've had tw cancer twice, two different types of cancer, almost died. So anytime somebody talks to me about cancer, I got an experience to share with them, right? This is what the Lord did for me, right? And this is how the Lord got me through that. Uh, if they say, oh, I, you know, I broke my leg. Oh, I broke my leg when I was a kid. And, and you're sharing some experience of what God has done for you. Does that make sense? All right, so you're doing that all through your Bible study, not diverting from the Bible study, but adding to it, adding to it. So how long do you think these kind of things should be? If you're trying to do the whole Bible study, they need to be short, sweet, but power-packed. Okay, short, sweet, but power-packed. All right, the next thing that you want to do within every Bible study is you want to have three to four key ideas, three to four key ideas that you're bringing out throughout the whole lesson, okay? So let me just say this. The Bi most Bible study lessons, they do speak to the heart, but they don't always speak to the specific issue that that person's dealing with. Does that make sense? That's why it's important for you as the Bible study giver to, um, to mold that Bible study to fit their individual life. Does that make sense? I'm kind of still talking on the felt needs thing. But uh, that's what you add to it, okay? Because you can have a great Bible study, but you still have to adapt it to every single person, okay? Three to four main points or ideas. And here's the thing. How many of you... How many of you heard Sean Boonstra's sermon last Sabbath? Did you enjoy that? Was it good? Did it impact your life? Yeah? But can you tell me every single thing he said in that sermon? No. But can you tell me two or three things that you remember from that sermon? Three or four maybe? Huh? You can? Yeah? Same thing as for you. It doesn't matter how gifted of a speaker you are. People will not remember every single word that you said. The disciples couldn't even remember everything Jesus said, could they? They kept forgetting it, and they didn't get it right. It's the same thing in a Bible study. People aren't going to remember everything you say, so before you give the lesson, you need to do a, just kind of an overview of the lesson and ask yourself the question, when I leave their house after I've done this lesson, what are the three or four things I want them to not forget? Are you with me? And I want those three or four things to click in their minds during the study, and then I want them to stick in their minds, okay? And there's ways to do that, which I'll talk to you about. But let's just take Daniel 2, for example. What are the three or four main things that we want people to remember? Think about Daniel 2. You all should know Daniel 2. You don't even have to look at the lesson. Just think of the subject. God knows the end from the beginning. Okay, God knows the end from the beginning. That's a good one. Okay, he has a plan. What else? You can trust him with your future. You can trust him with your future, right? He's, the Bible's still relevant today. Anything else? What's that? We're almost at the end. And Jesus, I heard over here, Jesus is coming soon, right? So there's several. <clears throat> Let's boil them down. If you just flow through the chapter, number one, uh, the Bible is still relevant and can be trusted, right? God answers prayer through Daniel's life. Number two, God knows the future of this world. Amen? Amen? And he has predicted the rise and fall of those empires. Number three, I, I mentioned this earlier, but I'm putting it as number three. The Bible's still relevant, correct? It's still relevant for us today. And number four, Jesus is coming again soon, right? If they remember those things from Daniel 2, they don't have to remember all the dates. I mean, it's good if they do. I'm not telling you to discourage them from that, but they don't have to, okay? If they know those four things, God 
cares about me, he'll answer my prayer like he answered Daniel's prayer. God knows the future of this world, therefore I can trust him with my future. Number three, the Bible is still relevant because of prophecy. Number four, Jesus is coming again very soon. Does that make sense? And you don't want less than three or more than four, okay? Not less than three or more than four. And sometimes you might have good points that are good points to bring out as you go through the lesson, but they're not, they're not big enough or broad enough to be that key point. Does that make sense? So with the three or four points, you have to think what? Big. You have to think on the large scale, okay? On the large scale. Now, those points also must be very personal. So usually what I do is I make the point in a sentence, and then I have another sentence that what? Makes it personal. For instance, number one, what was it? God answers prayer today because he answered Dan's prayer. How do I make that personal? He wants to answer your prayer, right? Number two, because God holds the future of this world in his hands, we can trust him to also what? Hold our future, right? Number three, the Bible is still relevant today. You can, we can trust it to guide our lives, right? Number four, Jesus is coming again soon, and he wants you to be a part of his eternal kingdom. Does that make sense? Are you with me? So the Sabbath, you know, the Sabbath, the Sabbath is a day of rest, peace, and joy, and Jesus wants to spend that day with you. Does that make sense? Um, Jesus, state of the dead. Um, Jesus under the Bible text, Jesus wept. Jesus understands the pain of death because he suffered it. Therefore, he knows how you feel when you lose a loved one, right? Jesus has power over the grave, therefore he has the power to resurrect you and those you love. Amen? Jesus is the resurrection and the life, right? Make sense? So in all those points, I'm making the point, but then I'm also making it personal. Does that make sense? So every single lesson you do, you ask yourself the question, what's the three or four things out of this lesson that I want them to remember, not forget, and then how do I make it personal? Make sense? So as you're going through your lesson, so, so in order to know that, what do you have to do beforehand? You have to do the lesson yourself, right? And then you have to say, okay, what's the big picture here? Let me pull out the top three or four main ideas. And as I go through the lesson, I'm going to go through the lesson and make all the small points too. But as I go through the lesson, I'm going to make those bigger points. Does that make sense? I'm going to emphasize those points because that's what I want them to remember, okay? So as you're going through your lesson, maybe, you know, the number, the, number, uh, the number two, that God knows the future, He can control my future, that's not really going to be revealed until I go through what? In Daniel 2. So I go through the statue, and I demonstrate that God revealed history before it happened. Are you with me? Makes sense? So then when I get to the end of that, I'm going to be able to make that point, hey, God knows the future, right? So those points are going to be scattered throughout my lesson after I get to the area that talks about that. Does everybody follow me? Anybody confused? Seems pretty simple. As you go through the lesson and the, that idea is brought out in the lesson, then you nail it right there because you're going to then review it again at the end. Um, clear but practical and personal. Don't go on for like 10 minutes making that point. One sentence to make the point, one sentence to make it personal. That quick. And that's how it becomes profound. So <clears throat> then, at the end of the Bible study, guess what you're going to do with those points? <clears throat> you're, going to, you're going to review them. Why are you going to review them? Make sure they stick and do what, what was that? You're going to, that? Those points are going to move you into your what? and to your appeal. Does that make sense? So how am I going to do that? It's going to take me between 15 and 25 seconds to review those points. I get to the end of the lesson, I say, so in our lesson today, we learned four really important things. Number one, boom. Number two, boom. Number three, number four. 
And as you've seen those things revealed in the Bible study, then I move into my appeal. Would you like to make the decision today to give your life to Christ? Or how, whatever appeal you're going to make. Does that make sense? So easy. But it's so profound to do that because those points are going to give them the confidence to make that decision. Does that make sense? So we review them in their minds. It takes only 15 to 25 seconds. All right, secondly, you want to use within your Bible study illustrations. What are illustrations? Picture, right? There are things that, uh, that reveal truth. They're parables. Do you think that Jesus used illustrations? Yes or no? Yeah, he did. In fact, some, uh, I'm going to read this quote here. I was going to have somebody read it, but we're recording, so I'll just read it. It says, from Christ's Object Lessons, page 21, Jesus sought an avenue to every heart. By using a variety of illustrations, he not only presented truth in its different phases, but appealed to the different hearers. Their interest was aroused by figures drawn from the surroundings of their daily life. None who listened to the Savior could feel that they were neglected <clears throat> or forgotten. The humblest, the most sinful heard in his teaching a voice that spoke to them in sympathy and what? Tenderness. Isn't that amazing? Now notice this one, Councils to Teachers 178. In his teaching, Christ drew his illustrations from the great treasury of household ties and affections and from nature. The unknown was illustrated by the known, sacred and divine truths by natural earthly things with which the people were most familiar. These were the things that would speak to their hearts and make the deepest impressions on their what? On their minds. So what did Jesus do? He, made, he helped them understand the unknown from things that were what? So he took things that they were already familiar with, and then he explained things that they weren't familiar with through the context of those things that they knew. Does that make sense? Give me an example of that. What do you, what do, you do? What were the? Give me an example from the Gospels. Shepherd and sheep. Shepherd and sheep. What else? Huh? The flowers. The flowers of the field. The farming. The farming. He also talked about fishing, right? Fig tree. Dough and leavening. That's right. These were all the things that people were constantly familiar with. So, when you are beginning to give a Bible study to somebody, you're going to get to what? You get to know them. And you're going to find out what they are interested in, right? So I'm asking them, as I get to meet them, usually, not always, but sometimes, before I do a Bible study with somebody, before I start a Bible study, it makes, the, it, makes it so much easier to actually do the Bible study. I'll just take them to lunch for an hour and just talk to them before I give them Bible studies. Because I'm finding out all kinds of things. And then, then sometimes I don't, haven't even offered them Bible studies. I just say, I get to know them, and they know I'm, I'm a preacher or whatever, and I say, let's go to lunch together. I, wanna, I just want to get to know you better. I want to chat with you and, and, and get to know you. And They're much more open to that than to initially doing Bible study. So I'll go out to lunch with them, and we'll talk with them. I'll share with them my testimony. I'll ask them about their life. And, um, and then at the end, I say, you know, I just feel like we have so much in common. I think you're a person who's really intelligent and open to things. You know, why don't we do these Bible studies together? And almost always it never fails that they say yes. When they would say no previously if I haven't gotten to know them, right? So my first study with them is just that, that kind of orientation time. I don't tell them that. That's what it is. But I have my plan, but I'm not telling them, right? And so, so I'm getting to know them. They might be interested in horseback riding or fishing or hunting or gardening. And so I have illustrations from those different things that when I do the Bible studies with them, I'm going to make those parallels from those illustrations. Does that make sense? Are you with me? And so if they like gardening, that's what... Now, I'm not, it doesn't mean that every single illustration has to be gardening because then you're going, to kind of, you're going to kind of wear it out, okay? But, you know, often I'm going to do that based upon their interest, okay? Make sense? Isn't it beautiful? And... I'm going, and, and so what happens is when I present, let's just say it's on the Sabbath, when I present that truth on the Sabbath and I show them the text, but then I give them an illustration of the gardening or whatever that they're interested in, 
every time they go out and do that gardening, what are they going to remember? They're going to remember the Sabbath for the rest of their life. They're not going to be able to forget about it. Amen? Because it's now stuck in their minds. I mean, you can say amen. That's why Jesus did it, because it would stick in their minds, because there's something powerful. It's called cognitive dissonance. There's something powerful in attaching new truth to something that people are already familiar with, and then they don't forget it. How many of you found that to be true in your own life, right? All right. So the purpose of illustrations, it makes abstract truths more comprehensible. You're not just waxing eloquent with your theology and all that, but you're actually having a purpose. It maintains interest because everybody likes a good what? Story, right? It has a way of deepening impression, and it is perpetual reminder in all future time. That's what I said, that every time they do that activity, they're going to remember that truth, right? Because they've detached it to that. So your illustrations should not be too humorous. They shouldn't be so ridiculously a joke that it overpowers the truth, all right? Make sense? Uh, it doesn't mean you can't use some humor, but it shouldn't overpower. It should be truthful. Don't use false things. And it should help make the what? Make the point. So where are some places I can find illustrations? Um, stories, poems, news, amazing facts, stories about other people, personal experience. How many of you have kids? If you study with somebody else that has kids, you have a million illustrations right there. Right? Nature. Um, illustrations you've heard other people use, like, you know, it's an example of, uh, you know, the, on the Ten Commandments. You, you've always heard the mirror illustration. You've maybe seen the evangelist get up at the mirror and he puts a mark on his face. And you know what I'm talking about? Yeah. It's a real common one. The illustrations are great. So how many illustrations should I have in my study? Uh, one, two, three at the very most. Depends on how long they are. But they can't go on for 15 minutes. They need to be two or three minutes, okay? And that doesn't mean you have to bring props and all that. It can just be a simple story, okay? A simple story that makes the point, okay? At least one, no more than three, okay? Everybody with me? You there? Okay, you're doing good. I can see it. You're doing good. All right. What's that? Going too fast. I, 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 I actually should go faster, so... Pray for me. Yeah, you'll get all this. You'll get all this. Don't worry. We'll get it for you. All right, another thing you want to include is personal testimonies. Um, the difference between an illustration and a personal testimony is what? What is it? Uh, the, the, the testimony is something that happened to you, right? That's right. And you can't have a testimony without a test. Amen? And in America, in Western civilization, we don't like tests, do we? We don't like trials, do we? Well, that's why many people don't have very many testimonies. Sometimes you go to church and you say, who has a testimony? Everybody's like, right? Um, so a short story about how God has worked in your life personally, an answered prayer, whatever. I mean, I have, I have a million of these. I remember when I was a new Christian, brand new Christian. I'd only been baptized for a couple of months. And I locked my keys in my car. And I was out there and I had to, a little coat hanger, and I was, you know, racking that thing, trying to get that thing unlocked, and, and I sat there and fought that thing for about 40 minutes, and then it occurred to me, I had not what? I had not prayed, and I prayed, and I said, God, please, if it's your will, help me to get this thing open, and I'm sorry I didn't ask before, in Jesus' name, and then I went like this, and it popped open. There you go. That's a what? How long did it take me to tell that story? About 30, 40 seconds, right? But does that have an impact on people? It has a powerful, profound impact on people. And it, what it does <clears throat> is it takes the promises of God from being ink on paper to becoming real in the life. And as people see what God has done for you, you can encourage them, He will do the same for you, right? That doesn't mean we won't have problems. It doesn't mean we won't have trials and difficulties, but what it means is God will give us what we need to get through them. Amen? Amen? All right. So this also helps keep the Bible study interested. Have a goal. Make sure that you have in mind what you want to cover. Ask the Holy Spirit to help you. Don't get so distracted by visitation. You never have time for the study. 
There's some people that want to they visit for 45 minutes and then they, wanna, they, they have to go, right? So you want to make sure you're staying focused. And I'll talk about what, how much time should you spend on that here in this, the next one. All right, so using the pre-made studies, that's the basic. Now we're just going to run through this real quick because we've already talked about it. How to prepare the study, make it Christ-centered. Um, what does it mean to make it Christ-centered? Does that mean you're saying the word Jesus in your Bible study while you pound that doctrine? No, what is, how do I make the state of the dead Christ-centered? Show how Christ is involved in it. What has He promised? Okay. What's going to do? What happened to Him? Okay, all right. That's good. So, uh, uh, making the state of the dead Christ-centered, you know, I always go to John chapter 11, the, the verse that says, Jesus what? Jesus wept. Jesus understands the pain of death, both and experience it, from those that he loves and experiencing it himself. And Jesus wept. And so the emotions of death Jesus experienced. He knows how you feel. He knows all the pain you experience. He knows all the emotions you have about death. But he's the one because he's the resurrection of the life. He has keys of death according to Revelation 1. He's the one, that, the only one that can give you true comfort during this time. Make sense? Christ-centered, okay, Christ-centered. Not just the dead know nothing, the dead raise when Jesus comes. All those things are true and good. But you've got to speak to the heart as well, amen? If you don't speak to the heart, people will know the truth, but they won't be free. The truth sets you free. But when we give only the, only the, the facts and we don't speak about Christ and what He can do, they only have half the truth and they're not free. They're still bound. Amen? All right, we have enough of those kind of people in our church, don't we? The sour lemons. They look like they've been baptized in lemon juice. All right. So, how do we prepare that study? Once again, we're drawing out the what? Three or four main points, right? We're including at least one what? Personal testimony within that. Where do I put my personal testimony? Wherever it fits. You go through the lesson and you'll know. God will speak to you about it. It may be in the appeal, may be in the introduction, it may be in the middle of the Bible study. doesn't matter. But use that personal testimony anytime. It does not have to be, the personal testimony does not have to be some great miracle that happened in your life. You know, God rose me from the dead or something. It doesn't have to be that. It can just be, you know what? I was having such a rough day and the kids were going insane and I just prayed that prayer, Lord Jesus, I just need your help now. And then somebody knocked on the door, and there was my help. Whatever, it could just be anything. You know, I, I looked for my keys for an hour, and I prayed, and God helped me find my keys. Whatever it is, it doesn't matter. It doesn't have to be a miraculous thing. Just simple is better even. Amen? Include, as I mentioned, two illustrations. You can use one, you can use three, but not more than three, and at least one. At least one testimony at least one illustration, but remember, they can't be real what? Long. They have to be pretty short and focused and to the point, but they will be powerful, okay? Yes? Someone had told me about doing each Bible study, you know, these little questions, they said make it a small appeal. Uh, I wouldn't do it for every question, no. I wouldn't do it for every question, but I'll talk about that, but I do it a little bit through the Bible study, but not every question because that gets kind of burdensome. gets kind of burdensome. No, no, it's fine. I'm glad you asked that. I'm glad you asked that. We'll talk about it, though. All right, then any additional texts and comments you need? What you don't want to do is you don't want to use more than about 10 to 12, at the very, very, very most, 15 Bible texts within your Bible study. And the reason for that is what? Why is there a reason for that? What's the reason? You don't want to overwhelm them. I mean, we, we have a habit as Adventists of whipping out our spiritual machine guns and we're just like, you got it? Kind of like I'm doing with you in this class, right? Pouring it on you. And before you know it, we got those people pinned up against the wall, and they don't know what to do with themselves, right? You, you ought to have 100 Bible verses in your mind, but only share you know, a handful at a time, because people can only absorb so much. And in this day and age, it's true more than ever. People don't think, they don't, they don't process, they don't, they don't do any of that. They're just sitting in front of the TV. So you've got to take it. Uh, now, don't, be, don't withhold the truth. 
but you need to, to, to take it in steps, okay? 10 to 12 Bible texts is plenty. And, and, and when I say that, your, your, your lesson may have a little bit more than that, and that's okay, uh, but you're not going to add 20 more to it, okay? You're going to add your one or two texts for, for the felt needs, okay, the, the, the struggle they're going through, but then that's it, okay, that's it. The lesson is enough. All right, then again, your summary at the end. I've already talked about all these things. We're just reviewing them. Your summary at the end, and what are you doing in the summary? I am what? <clears throat> I'm reviewing those three to four points, and how long does that take? 30 seconds. But how powerful is it? It's very pivotal, right? Now, how do I, how do, I do that? So, so how do I insert these things in my Bible? So you can do it a couple of ways. You can write within your Bible study. You know, let's say I'm going to do my a testimony after question number three. Okay, So I'm going to write personal testimony about losing keys. Then when I get to number three, I know what? After I share that question and answer, I'm going to share that what? Testimony. And then I go on down, and uh, after number six, I have that illustration about gardening. I'm going to write it in there, illustration about, about the beets or the onions or whatever, right, or the weeds. And then after question number six, oh, it's in my notes here. I'm going to share that thing about, if you need to write it out, you can write out the whole thing, okay? But don't read it to them. You just know what it says and you tell it to them, okay? Then down at the end of my Bible study, you know, I've got my three points. Well, right here, the Ida's Written Lessons look like they already have those. So you can use those, okay? You can just use those, but make sure you reemphasize those, okay? Then I have my appeal. And I would encourage you to write out your appeal so that you know exactly what you're going to say. The Holy Spirit may change that in the moment and probably will do that more times than not, but at least you have something prepared. Let me just say that the appeals that are in most Bible study lessons are typically not enough. Not enough. Okay, You need to go a little bit more. And they'll talk to you about gaining decisions. I don't, I'm not talking about that today, but uh, they'll talk to you about that. But you need to go a little bit more. So you can either write these things out and mark them in your lesson, or you can you know, write them on a, a separate piece of paper. And you, know, you could put after question three, my personal testimony, after question seven, illustration. You can have it on a sheet of notes. And if you have a lesson like this, you want to print that off on a half sheet of paper and just have it right in your lesson right there. But uh, you can do it however you want to do it. Okay. They do, but you don't want to have them things falling all over the place. You, you know, you bump them and they, yeah. Can you just give us an example of how you would justify this? Yeah. Um, basically, in your early Bible studies, your appeal is going to be... Um, Smaller. Does that make sense? It's going to be simpler. So in your first Bible study, it might be this. It says the Bible demonstrates that God can be trusted. Are you willing to let, tell God you trust Him, that you would like to know more, about, know more about Him and His plan for your life? And the answer would be yes. On your first Bible study, that right there is probably good enough. Okay, But as you get further down the line, your appeal like for the Sabbath, you know, when you make an appeal for the Sabbath, you're not going to say, do you love Jesus and want to follow him? Right? Why? Why is that not okay? It's not, what the, it's not specific. Your appeal has to be specific to the subject. Now, in the Bible study on the Sabbath, it may be that it may ask them to keep the Sabbath. It probably will. But they may have objections. And there's some questions that you go through uh, with people, which I don't have time to go through today, but I'll, I'll just list them, but I can't discuss them because of our time. But they will cover them in decisions class, okay? I think you guys will have a class on that. But I'll ask them, was the Sabbath new to you? Was the Sabbath, uh, did it make sense from the Bible that the seventh day is the Sabbath? Do you sense God calling you to keep the Sabbath? And is there anything that would hinder you from doing that and making that decision today? Those are some questions you can ask them to process that, process that with them. Because you may say, was it clear to you from the Bible? And they may say, what? No, it wasn't. 
I have questions about this, this, and this. Well, if they have questions, am I going to then say, do you want to keep the Sabbath? No, because they're not ready to, they need, you need to clear all the obstacles. And there's a process to do that, which we don't have time to do now, but as I said, uh, they'll do it with you later. And some of those books will help you with that as well. I would love to do it. I have, a, I have three weeks worth of classes on gaining decisions, but we don't have time today. All right, and I wish we did, but I'm sorry. All right, the appeal, and then you write out your appeal and decision question uh, and write out your prayer. You don't necessarily have to do that, the prayer. I made my students do it. I made them write out every single word because I wanted them to get used to it. Your first few times of doing it, you may want to do that so that you're familiar with it. But as you gain experience, you don't have to, okay? All right, does that sound good? So you're really not adding a whole lot to the Bible study, but you're, you're making it what? Personal. So you're speaking to felt needs, you're adding testimonies, you're adding illustrations, and you're making sure you emphasize those summary points throughout the lesson, or those main points throughout the lesson, and then summarizing them at the end as you make your appeal. Does that make sense? Okay. Yes. Um, if you say that you use no more than 15 mm-hmm. So if you have a long Bible study, you just pick out the main things that you want to... So most, most lessons don't go much beyond that. Um, like, how many of you ever used the historicals? <clears throat> the historicals have like 15 questions, and then they have like eight Bible verses for each question. Don't do that. Usually one verse per question is enough. And when I say a verse, it may be like, okay, like if you look in this one, Daniel, our number, number 12, it says Daniel 2, 41 and 42. That's like count would count as one verse. Like one passage of two, three, four verses, that would be counting as one verse, not four. Okay, makes sense? But you don't want to, for one question, you don't want to look up eight different passages and then do that for every question. You're just going to wear out the saints. You're all going to become little horns wearing out the saints. Okay? We don't want to be little horns. Amen? We don't want to be little horns. This media was brought to you by Audioverse, a website dedicated to spreading God's word through free sermon audio and much more. If you would like to know more about Audioverse, or if you would like to listen to more sermons, please visit www.audioverse.com dot org.